let's get into the Word of God. I'm going to read just one verse, 1 Corinthians 10, uh, chapter 10, verse, where is that, 31. We'll pray and get into it. It's Paul, uh, by the power, anointing, Holy Spirit, breathe, authority, says this to us. So, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. That's God's word. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your living and active and inerrant and powerful word. Thank you that it has authority. It changes lives. Lord, I know so many of us in this room are different because you spoke to us. You spoke and we heard you and we've we come from dead to life, Lord. And I thank you that your word is refreshing, that it's like water from a well, that it, it gives us drink where we are thirsty. Thank you, Lord, that it is true, that this is not just a human book. We're not just here. This isn't some club where we're sharing human ideas. Like, you spoke. You spoke, God. And so right now, we get to hear from you and think about what you have said. And, and thank you, Holy Spirit, that it is your word that you use like a sword to just powerfully work in our lives. So Holy Spirit, please come. Help us if we're sleepy, if we're confused, if we have doubts. Um, would you just minister to us? And more than anything else, I ask, Holy Spirit, you would glorify Jesus. That's what you have to do. Help us fall more in love with Jesus tonight. And it is in that name that is above every name. Amen. All right, so um, the title of this sermon is Weed and Worship. Uh, I'm gonna explain that in a second. So we have been in 1 Corinthians for this school year. Uh, quick summary the Corinthians were a wild bunch of Christians. They, none of them, they were all first-generation Christians. They didn't grow up in Christian family. Those didn't exist in Corinth until the gospel came. So these people lived in this crazy, wild city and culture. They get saved. And we went through chapters one and two where Paul was saying, hey, the gospel is the power of God. And he's like, but listen, it seems stupid. It seems foolish to a world that values power and wisdom. He's like, nobody's, it's not going to make sense to the world. Don't expect it to make sense to the world, but it's the power of God. And then he goes on in chapters like three and four to talk about like tribalism and our tendency to pick what pastors or teachers. We're like, no, I'm with them. No, I'm with them. And he's like, no, that's stupid. You are, your unity is in Jesus. It's not in Peter and Paul or Paulus. And then in chapters five, he starts getting into the nitty gritty. Now, uh, this church, they, here's the thing. They heard the gospel, which basically means though we are sinful, God still loves us, made a way for us to be in a relationship with him. We're forgiven of all our sins. And they, they were so excited about that idea that they were like, man, we're, we're just going to sleep around and Jesus is going to forgive us. So they, as a church, had that culture. Imagine that. This church was just, everyone was sleeping with everybody. And I'm not like sleeping, like they were having sex with one another. There was a guy who was sleeping with his father's uh, wife, his, I don't know what you call it, stepmother. And the church was boasting about it. Like, look at this guy, man. We're so about the grace of God. This guy is sleeping with his, you know, stepmom. This is awesome. And Paul's like, you guys are crazy. Don't do that. That's chapter five and six. Now in chapters eight through 10, he, the context in this situation is he's addressing food that's been sacrificed to idols, okay? Uh, in this culture at this time, that was like worship. You would sacrifice an idol and then you would eat it. And eating this food would be like worship to a false god. And Paul, when he first came there, he was like, guys, listen, 
All of those idols aren't real. There's only one God. There's not a bunch of other gods. So you can like eat that food. It's not like some creepy like other spiritual meat. Nothing's going to happen to you. God's other gods aren't even real. So they were stoked. They were like, yes, we can eat all this meat. That meat was actually cheaper than it was in the market. And so they were just going hard on this idol, you know, sacrifice the idol meat. And what he's doing in these three chapters is he's kind of slowing them down. He's like, yeah, 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 you can eat that meat. But guys, and he's, he's t- he addresses this thing called Christian freedom or Christian liberty. And he's saying, yes, you are free to do a lot of stuff as, as Christians. Your salvation isn't dependent on if you eat the right food or worship on the right day or all of that religious stuff. But you need to be considerate about your brothers and sisters who like worship this way and are tripping out like, why are you eating all this food? And so he, he goes into depth three chapters on this concept of Christian freedom. Now, I'm sure some of us, you hear that hum? I don't know what's up with the hum, sorry. It's bugging me. I'm, I'm kind of OCD. If you guys are chilling, that's fine. Um, help me, Jesus, where am I? Okay, I'm sure you guys struggle with eating food sacrifice to idols. I'm sure that's a thing for some of us. Um, but for others of us, you're like, why are these chapters in the Bible? I don't, I never ate food, meat, sacrificed to an idol. What does 1 Corinthians 8, 9, and 10 have to do with meat? And it actually has a lot to do with you. It has to do with your freedom in Christ to do or not to do certain things like drink alcohol or smoke weed. Did you know that? The Bible addresses these concepts of what are you free to do? And even if you are free to do something, should you do it? How do you think about this? And so I don't know if you've ever heard a sermon on marijuana and Jesus, but that's kind of what it is. And uh, listen, if you don't smoke weed, you've never smoked weed, you don't know anybody in the world who smoked weed, you're never planning on smoking weed, that's fine. Um, Just plug in like something else that's morally neutral, like alcohol or what you do for fun or what movies you watch or how you dress or physical boundaries in in dating. These things that aren't directly addressed in the Bible, like, listen, you can't see a rated R movie. The Bible doesn't say that. So if you don't, if this is like weed is like not a thing for you, plug in some of these questions. But I have a feeling weed is a thing for some of you. Um, did you know half of Americans have tried wheat? Did you know there are more pot shops than McDonald's and Starbucks combined? Did you know that? Did you know that one in three Christians support uh, the full legalization of marijuana? We live in a state where it is legal. Uh, listen, I'll be honest with you. It is not that far of a jump for me to be like, yeah, why can't I smoke weed? Like, and, and I'm like a pastor. Like, that's not like a crazy thing for me. So you maybe never heard... Um, how we should think biblically about such a thing as marijuana. Um, And that's what we're going to get into. So in these three chapters, the Holy Spirit gives us five principles about your freedom in Christ and how you should think about things like smoking weed. The first one is this. Our freedom, they're going to build on each other, okay? This is, you're going to think a little bit. Our freedom in Jesus begins with knowledge. That's the first thing about your freedom in Jesus. Um, What Paul, he discusses knowledge because he says, listen, he starts off chapter eight saying, now concerning food sacrifice to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge. And what he's talking about is we know that idols aren't a real thing. When, When the Corinthians became Christians, they learned, oh wait, there's only one God. There's not a bunch of other gods. So idols aren't a real thing. That's what he's talking about 
in verse 5, although there may be so-called gods in heaven and on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord Jesus Christ, through whom all things and through whom we exist. So he's saying, listen, the first thing when you're learning about what you can and can't do as a Christian is you need to have knowledge. You need to know truth. These, that, these guys, he was talking about food sacrifice to idols. And um, what, this was relief for these guys because what they learned, they learned truth that freed them from religion, freed them from, you need to say the right things, you need to do the right things, you need to eat the right things, you need to wear the right things. All the silly stuff, the religious stuff that often happens around here is like they learned, wait, that stuff doesn't matter, that stuff doesn't save me, it's the blood of Jesus that saves me. I don't have to eat the right food and then Jesus saves me. So they're learning knowledge about what it is to follow Jesus. And what they learned is when you come to Jesus, you are free, Christian liberty, knowledge. Now, an important question for you, our generation that no other generation has really had to deal with is does Christian liberty extend to marijuana? Does it extend to weed? Uh, I'm even going to put a little fuel on this fire. There's a verse. There are many verses you can read that will make you smile. But there's one verse in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 4 or 5. It says this, Everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is made holy by the word of God in prayer. Now, you could be like, anything, everything by God is good, and nothing's to be rejected if I'm just thankful for it? Yes, and... It is made holy by the word of God and prayer. What Paul is getting at is what does the word of God say about this thing, this thing in your head that you're wondering about? And what does, when he says prayer, he's meaning what does the spirit in you, your conscience, your your new heart say as you're asking God about it? What does the word of God say? What does the Holy Spirit in you say? And so he's saying Christian liberty begins with knowledge. We need to ask what does the Bible say? What are principles we can learn? And then what does the spirit Say, so I want to ask you guys, what do you know about marijuana? Do you know things? Or have you just heard things? Your liberty as a Christian begins with knowledge. I I want to know if you know. How much do you know? Um, I've done a lot of research on weed this week. It was an interesting week. Um, Many hours, many, many hours and studies and articles and all these things. Um, And I'm not going to address all the political economic stuff that also comes up. Like, oh, no, it's better if you tax it, if not this, blah, blah, blah. I'm going to specifically educate us, the, the knowledge for our Christian liberty, on what, the effect of marijuana on your body, and, and then what is, and try to help make, connect some dots about what has God said about it. So, two arguments, basically. Those in favor of it, those not in favor of it. Those in favor of weed, here are a couple facts, uh, or at least arguments on this side. They say it's a better painkiller than synthetic drugs, right? Why would you give someone this addictive Oxycontin thing that we made up, give somebody something God made. Um, another one is it initiates your appetite. If someone needs to eat more, that's like an actual thing. Um, it, it helps you with that. It, it eases nausea, specifically for those on chemo. Um, it's helpful for those to an extent who suffer with depression and anxiety. And they all say, now don't do it too much because it will make you anxious and depressed, but it's helpful on some extent. Um, another thing is it's really helpful. It helps ease epileptic seizures. So these are some of the like, hey, this is a good thing for your body. Uh, there, there's another side to that um, that says this. This is from the CDC, which is like a fancy health place in Atlanta. Uh, this is what they say on their website. Uh, weed is 
is dangerous for your mental health. It worsens bipolar disorder. It heightens depression and anxiety, suicidal thoughts, and schizophrenia. Uh, it hinders short and long-term brain development. It increases your heart speed. It's not great for your heart. It, guys, it increases your chances of testicular cancer. I don't know if anyone's told you that before. Imagine that, right? You're, you're getting handed something, but just so you know, you may get cancer down there. I'm just saying. Um, it affects your lungs as smoking does, and uh, people argue back and forth if it's addictive or not. Um, one thing I do want to point out that you probably won't hear, and there's a reason for this, is there is a marijuana industry. You could call it, the, as there was big tobacco, there is a huge industry and a growing industry in favor of weed. And uh, as previous generations, there they experienced a whole industry shielding people to the health effects of tobacco. That like because they wanted to make money. There was a whole industry, billions of dollars, and that's what they did. Did you know that exists? There is an industry that is shielding you from information about this because they want to get consumers. Now, this is controversial stuff. The The Bible doesn't directly address, though God has given us weed, can I light it on fire and ingest it? Is that a thing? The Bible doesn't directly address that. But the Bible does give us some wisdom. Um, So now we have some knowledge, some knowledge, an intro to what marijuana does for your body. The second thing we learn from these chapters about our freedom in Jesus is, listen, our freedom in Christ is to be used to love other people. That is why you have freedom in Christ. These guys were like, oh, I have freedom. I can eat whatever I want. I can do anything I want. This is awesome. And they didn't think about how it affected other people. And they used this knowledge. And as it says in chapter 8, verse 1, concerning food offered to idols, we know all of us possess knowledge. This knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Listen, if you are using your freedom in Christ for yourself, you're missing the point. That's not why we have freedom in Christ. We do not have it to go do whatever we want to do. We have it to love one another. Jesus says, if, if someone, if you're wanting to follow Jesus, you will say this, I will be concerned, more concerned about what my, how my decisions affect other people than what they do for me. He says in chapter 10, verse 24, let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. So I want to ask you, um, listen, if weed isn't your thing, that's fine. Plug in your other thing. Are you willing, would you be willing to give that thing up out of love for somebody else? Could you do that? And if you couldn't do that, you're not walking in the proper freedom Jesus has given you. That thing is actually enslaving you. That is what the Bible calls an idol. You've given it power and you are making sacrifices to it like an idol saying, I don't care about these things or these people. I want my thing. This will apply to you guys, if not already, it will really soon with, the, uh, with alcohol. Listen, Jesus isn't anti-alcohol. He made a lot of it at a wedding once. Um, but maturity in walking with Jesus is considering other people and not just flaunting your freedom. 
it is not mature to be like, I can drink wine because Jesus made wine and I know mom and dad, you don't want me to drink wine and I'm just gonna drink it and I'm gonna talk about it because I'm allowed to in Jesus. Like, you're missing the point. That's not what freedom in Jesus is for. It is for love for other people. I wanna ask all of us, but specifically uh, some of us, do you consider others when you think about what clothes you're wearing? Do you think about others? Like, how can I love other people? I want to talk about this for a second. Um, Do you guys think about what you're wearing when you go work out? Do you think about how this may affect somebody else? Do you think about how this would affect others when you post certain things on social media? And is love for others ever in your mind or just your preference, just because you can do whatever you want to do? And I want to remind us that we follow a man who left Heaven gave up everything, comfort, his own life in love for other people. That is the model we have in following Jesus, considering loving others, going out of our way, inconveniencing ourselves to love other people. Number three, in these chapters, we learn about freedom in Christ, that your freedom in Christ is for the mission of Jesus. That is why you've been set free so that you can do what Hanara was talking about and live for the mission and glory of Jesus. Look what Paul says in chapter nine, verse 12. This is a radical statement. In fact, don't look at it if you don't wanna be bothered. Chapter nine, verse 12, Paul says this. The second half, nevertheless, we have not made use of this right, but we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. Paul's saying, I will do anything. I will give up anything if it gets in the way of the gospel. The purpose, Paul's saying, of my life is to put Jesus on display. Jesus who is holy and perfect and pure. And I follow him. And so I will give up everything and anything so that Jesus can get glory in my life. I want to read us also, look at verse 23 to 27. This is, this is how Paul thought about his life and his mission in following Jesus. Chapter nine, verse 23. He's talking about, I've, done, I've given up all this stuff. He says it in verse 23. I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings. Verse 24. Do you not know that in a race, all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air. I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Paul is like, I could do whatever I want. I could eat whatever I want. I could get married, he talks about. I could make money doing this, but I've given all that up because I don't want people to miss the gospel. And he, this was the most effective man for the ministry of Jesus in all of history. And this is why he was willing to give up whatever he needed to. And, And I love he uses this like athlete discipline metaphor. The Christian life, though we are free in Jesus, isn't to just kick it. That's not why you are here. That's like the next life forever. But you actually, did you know you have a mission, a purpose? That's why you're breathing. Did you know you were saved, not just to enjoy your salvation, but to participate in the mission? Did you know that's why you are a Christian? You have a mission. And is your attitude about all your decisions, 
all of your freedom in Christ so that I could go be more effective for Jesus. In Hebrews 12, whoever wrote it starts off saying, let us lay aside every weight. Whatever is slowing you down, lay it aside. Whatever is slowing down your love for Jesus, lay it aside. He says, lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. I want to stop right there. Not everything that's going to slow you down is sin. Sometimes it's something good, some good gift. I don't want to just harp on substances or social media. It may be your job. It may be your reputation. It may be earning a living. It's whatever is slowing you down. There's sin and weight that slows us down. And he says that clings so closely. But let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. So what's slowing you down on your mission? Are you disciplined? Or are you just like letting things come at you as it will? What's slowing you down? And I'll be honest with you guys, like, man, I read this and I'm like, oh, I want to be more like this. I, I too often take my comfort and my freedoms just for myself to enjoy. I want to be more like Jesus who gave up everything because he had a mission. I, I want, man, I, I want to care more about spreading the gospel and giving up whatever I need to. I don't, I don't want people to look at my life and think, oh, that's what Christians do and slander the name of Jesus because of how I'm perceived. I, I, I want, like Paul, to view my life as significant and meaningful and marked by like a sacrificial adventure for Jesus. I don't want to just die like, man, I used a lot of my freedom for myself. I don't want to get there, but I'm with you. I so often am guilty of thinking only about myself and not the mission. And then the fourth thing Paul says about our Christian liberty is this. Beware of your own motives. Look at chapter 10, verse 12. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. Man, that's heavy. Let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. This is such a common cliche in our culture. It's everywhere. Uh, But it's just concept. Hey, listen, follow your heart, right? Just do what's in you. Be true to yourself. Follow your heart. And honestly, that's valuable to an extent. It's popular for a reason. God has made you uniquely and called you and gifted you uniquely. Don't let others discourage that. Um, And when you walk with God, he's going to transform your desires and he'll give you the desires, those good desires of your heart. But there's a biblical balance and it's right here. Take heed. Don't think high of your own motives. Take heed of your own heart, lest you fall. Um, Man, when you think about your heart, be like, man, I have this flesh that is so prone to be deceived and to lie to me about my own motives. Jesus was like, Father, lead me out of temptation. Um, Back to weed. I want to talk about what, like, what's the motives going on here? So there's been some research done in Colorado. It's legal there, obviously, medical and recreational. Um, the leading argument for making marijuana legal is it's good, it's good for your body, it's good medicine. So in Colorado, um, medical use for uh, marijuana, there's, we, we know there's, it's 2% of those who use marijuana use it for cancer, 1% use it for HIV AIDS, and 94% use it for unspecified pain. Do you hear that? 2% for cancer, 1% for AIDS, 94% 
for some unspecified pain. And I bring that up because we lie to ourselves. We're like, no, this is good for me. This is, I'm sick. 94% of people are BSing it. That's not what's going on here. And I want to ask you if THC, which is the psychoactive element in marijuana, was removed, would, would it still be advocated for? Would it still be popular? It's like Tylenol. I don't think so. And the point is we need to take heed of our own motivations. I know we're like, man, I should be able to dress or do or go wherever I want to go. The Bible is saying, man, Christian maturity says question your own motives in Christ. What's really going on here? Take heed lest you fall. There's, I don't know if I've told this story here. Uh, when I was, I just graduated high school. I went to Yosemite with some friends and I'm kind of reckless and confident in myself. And we hiked up to Yosemite Falls, which is like, a, it's miserable. It's like stairs for three miles up. That's what you do. You get there, there's a waterfall. It was awesome, but it was summertime. So the water was really low and like really, really low, just trickling. And I was like, okay, let's go to the edge of this waterfall. Like there's no water, it's fine. So I'm like walking up there and here's the the edge of the waterfall, 3,000 feet that way. And because it's like, there's not a lot of water, it was very slick. It was polished by water. And so I'm literally standing here like this and I look back and you guys, my feet slip. And I do this and I land on my back like at the edge of 3,000 feet. And the adrenaline rush, just the, I am so stupid. I almost just died. I mean, it wasn't even funny. It was, I was disgusted. And I just slid around. I like, I want nothing to do with this waterfall. Like we do that spiritually. I'm fine. I got this. It's fine. And then that's, and what does Satan do? He baits us, just lures us on. It's fine. Just a little bit. Just this. It's not, you're not going there. It's not all the way. And, and then like he has us. The Bible says you need to take heed of your own motivations. You may be free to do all kinds of stuff. I'm not even going to say from this pulpit, don't smoke weed. But you need to take heed lest you fall. You need to think about question what's really going on in my heart, let alone the fact that there is a full-time guy who's out to deceive you, like, let alone the fact that you have an enemy whose only job is just lying to you. Like, take heed. We need to take heed lest we fall. And then the fifth thing, the most important thing in these three chapters, why we have freedom in Christ, more important than your mission, more important than anything else, is what we read at the beginning in verse 31, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. That is why you exist in the universe, for the glory of God. Listen, whether you eat or drink or whatever you post on social media, it's to be for God's glory. That is the test. Am I doing this because I want people to see the glory of God? That is the test. That, and listen, we're so crazy, right? We're like, how far can I go with my boyfriend or girlfriend, right? Like, we, like I want to know the cliff so I just can know how close to get. Like, that's a, that's a crazy, wrong, unbiblical, wrong-hearted question. It's, man, whatever you do with your boyfriend or girlfriend, do it for the glory of God. Whatever you do. Listen, if you, like, we're fooling ourselves, right? This is for the glory of God. Whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. That is what a mature Jesus follower is about, the glory 
of God. Some really smart theologians um, in this thing called the Westminster Shorter Catechism, these are like the smartest people ever who have ever lived. They ask this question, what is the chief end of humanity? Why do we exist? They say man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. You guys, God doesn't exist for you. You were created for him. You were created for his glory. And do you know what I love? It says, and to enjoy him forever. Did you know that your joy is linked with living for the glory of God? Did you know that? Did you know when you try to go find joy somewhere else outside of the glory of God, you're getting robbed? Did you know it's not actually the best place to find your joy? Do you know that's what Satan said to Eve? Listen, God's holding out on you. Do you know what God's about? He's just about rules and regulations. Don't eat from this tree because he knows you're just going to have a really good life if you eat from this tree. That is the lie of Satan. The lie is God is holding out on your joy. The lie is when you live for his glory, it's going to suck for you. You were, cre- you were created by a, a God who is so full of joy. Where did we get every good thing we've ever been given from him? And so when we live for his glory, we receive far more joy. Psalm 16, in your presence is fullness of joy. That is where you will find joy and satisfaction. And so there's kind of two ways to think about this. Number one, live so that others, when they look at your life, will see the glory of God. Like whatever you do, people are like, man, God is awesome. I can't believe, like live so that when people look at your life, they get a little glimpse of the glory of God. And if you can honestly say, man, I really think smoking weed is gonna do that, Literally do it. Go for it. 1,000%. But I, I, there's one more test I think the Bible gives us about, are you, is this for the glory of God or is this for yourself? And it talks about what's like the fruit of your decisions. In Galatians chapter 5, it talks about the fruit of the Spirit. But right before that, it talks about the, the fruit of our flesh. When we're not living for the glory of God, we're living for ourselves. Listen to this list. This is, a, this is like, okay, am I doing this for God's glory? If you need help, like figuring out what does that mean? Here's a good list. The works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. So if you're like, hmm, does this decision, this activity lead to this stuff? It's probably not for the glory of God. Then he says, I warn you as I warned before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Like, where do I line up my decisions, my actions, these question marks I have? What do I tend? What what does my life look like? So number one, am I living in such a way that when people look at me, they see the glory of God? Number two, Listen, you're to live, you were created so that you would see more of God's glory. Do you know that's like should be your greatest goal of your life? To behold more of the glory of God? This is what your soul that loves pleasure was created for, to get more of God, more of the glory of God, to just look at him and behold him and wonder at him. That is what you were made for. And you know when you're looking at like an amazing sunset and it's so good, but there's just like never enough of it. 
You're like, no, don't go away, sunset. Like, it's getting ugly. Like, oh, man, like, it just, ne- like, the light fades, and you're like, that, there wasn't enough. Or this, just this view of the mountains, right? And you're like, I could stand here all day, but it never works out. You can't stand there all day. It doesn't work that way. That, like, longing for, like, I just got a little taste of something. The Bible says creation displays the glory of God. You're getting a little taste of what you were made for, the glory of God. And the reason why those things don't last is because they're just like a pointer to the source, which is God himself. And I wanna say the worst part about sin isn't that you're breaking some rule. It's you're crazy. You're you're, you're numbing yourself to the best thing in the universe. Like, let me just get numb so that I don't experience God's glory. And man, you guys, this is like my life as a pastor. How many conversations I've had with you guys in sin, like I just am dry, I know God is good, but I just haven't tasted, I haven't experienced it, I haven't done this. But you're just like, just numbing yourself with sin. That is like most of my conversation. I wish I could just, but it's just, yeah, I think I'm just gonna settle for this sin. It kind of tastes good in the moment, but it's just this numbness to the glory of God. And, and I'll say this, uh, this is why I, I don't think God's intention for the marijuana plant is to be smoked. It does not bring clarity. It, gives, it brings you into a fog and cl- this cloudiness. If your goal in life is to behold glory, the glory of God, I think I, I would do anything and everything I can to like help me see it more clearly. Whatever is like putting fog in front of my face, get it away because I have a better source of joy in front of me. That's why the Bible says, be sober-minded. Like, like, get your mind clear so that you can go behold the glory of God. Sin does the same thing. It's this numbing, foggy, like, I just can't see clearly God anymore because I've just been clouding my vision. And you know, in 1 Corinthians 13, which we'll get to, Paul talks about, right now, we see some of the glory of God but we're looking through like a dim, foggy mirror. Like you think you've tasted something good. We're looking through like this foggy, dim mirror. He says, but then you will see him face to face. And so I wanna do everything I can to just like start. It's, it says, this is what happens when we walk with him. We go from glory to glory. Our window to God like begins to get a little clearer, a little clearer, a little clearer. And then like, we'll see him face to face. And I just wanna say this again. I've said it so many times. You guys when it comes to your freedom in Christ and your temptation to just use it for yourself, like Jesus is better. He's better. He's better than anything else you want to go to. And I know I experience every day the pull in my flesh for lesser things. It's there. That's part of the battle of our flesh. It's part of the battle of the enemy and the world lying to you. No, joy is over here. Joy is over here. No, God's holding out on you. But I just want to say I've tasted and I've seen that God is better than anything else. That is a true, I would stand here and give my life for that. I believe that. I believe, I'm a few years older than you. I've tasted and seen many things. And I, like, if, I just picture myself coming back from a desert and you're like dying, give me a drink, a little sip of anything. I'm like, you guys, there's legitimate like a cold lake over there. It's better than anything you've tasted. Trust me, he's there. He's better in his presence to know his love, to be full of his spirit. Of Listen, obedience to Jesus is far better, is so much better than not obeying Jesus. Like 
it's, I know sometimes, here's the, the scenario. There's a temptation in front of you and you feel the pull and you know in your head, like, I know this won't make me happy, but everything in me is like, but it will. It will make me happy. And I know the times when I've given into that and where you just, you're like, yeah, I was like satiated, but I just feel gross. And I know the times when I, it felt like denying everything in me to go to Jesus, which is an actual metaphor he uses, pick up your cross, come and follow me. It's better. It's always better to obey Jesus. And that's why he made the wine, because he's like, I'm the wine. I'm better. Come, I provide joy. Now, um, I know some of you guys are like, yes and amen. I know this is true. Thank you for the reminder. I imagine there are others of you who are like, what are you talking about? I've never tasted that. I've never experienced that. Or I'm at least doubting that. Or how can I know that's true? How can I know that denying my flesh is, is better? And, and because I've, how do I know this is, is Jesus actually better? And there's, there's a biblical way for you to know this. And I love this. This is the best thing I'm going to tell you. How do you know Jesus is better than all this other stuff? Because he loves you in spite of your sin. How do you know? Because he went to a cross and he laid down his life and he, he was crucified by human beings and then he suffered the wrath of God for your rebellion so that you could be forgiven and experience life and be connected to the source of life. How do I know? No one else has done that. No one else will do that. No one else will come for you at your worst after you've chosen, like the, the, the story of the prodigal son, you've just chosen sin every time and you're in this slop of pigs and mess. No one else will receive you the way Jesus will receive you at, at your worst. Some of you guys are like, man, honestly, I've just given into that. That's what I feel like. I'm just like filthy. He, the father ran to the son, put a robe and kissed him. You guys, that's how I know Jesus is better. No one else is going to do that. No one else will forgive you after a lifetime of living in the mud. And I know immediately you're like, okay, so I could get the mud. I can live my whole life with, with the pigs and then he'll forgive me. I mean, like, yeah, I guess, but why would you go live your whole life with some pigs? Like, like we would be crazy. He loves you so much. And, and the last thing I will say is when you've tasted that love and that mercy of his, his forgiveness and love for you, that taste changes, changes us. It's like fuel for wanting more of him. It's like he loves me this much. When you experience just a taste of the love of the Father in your life, you're like, I'll do anything to get more of that. I want more of that. I want less of my sin. My sin is actually gross. I don't want that. I want more of his presence. And so as we approach this time of worship, um, we're going we're gonna to have this time to remember, to fix our eyes on the one who, man, you guys, here's the truth. Not one of us has pulled this off. Not one of us is like, yeah, you know, ever since I was like a little kid, I just chose Jesus and it's been awesome. None of us have done that. That is why we love Jesus because he came after us at our worst. And, and what we're doing in worship, we're not mustering up this religious performance. We are like receiving the love of God. We are receiving forgiveness for our sin. And so, listen, 
what we need to do every day and right now is to repent and confess. This is like the pathway back. The pathway back is like, I don't want this stuff anymore. I want you, Jesus. And I'm acknowledged I've been here. I don't want that. I want you. And he says, come to me. Come and you will receive like water for your soul. That's what we're doing in worship. So we're going to have a prayer team like over here. If you just need prayer, if you want encouragement, if you, if you want to confess to somebody who's not like your friend because that's embarrassing at the moment, that's okay. Um, that's what these people will be doing. We're going to have carpets to get on your face. Man, that's, that is the right posture before Jesus, to be on our faces before him. There's elders around the throne, and every time someone starts singing about Jesus, they take off their crowns and they fall on their face. That's like the most holy people in the universe. That's what they do. And then I think of the woman who was a prostitute. And when she saw Jesus, she fell at his feet and she wept and he forgave her. That's just the right posture to be before Jesus, before our God, like you are worthy. And then let's ask for the spirit just to pour out the love of the father so that we can live for his glory. So Jesus, I ask right now, please, Holy Spirit, do what only you can do. Please pour out the love of God. Please convict us. Lead us out of temptation. Lead us back to yourself. Lord, if there are ways we've been wandering and straying, using our own freedom for ourselves, Lord, please, please lead us back. Please lead us back. And I thank you that you don't, like, it's, it's such a sweet experience to come back to you. Like, you don't, you're not like an angry parent, like, all right, let's, let's see if you're really sorry. You don't, you don't like make it sting, like you run to us and you embrace us. You get at your posture right now towards us, your kids, towards those of us who don't even know you yet. The posture is one of just, I love you. I've come for you. I went to the cross for all of your sin and I wanna give you new life and righteousness in my spirit. Lord, I pray, like we said earlier, that we would, we would not just coast through this time. Please, Lord, we want to go hard after you. We want to seek your face. Like Moses, we want to behold more of your glory. Like, please, Lord, would you show up and show us your glory? Help us taste and see. Help us right now. Help us experience your love. Help us confess whatever we need to and remember the cross and that you're better. this time just be like a a feast at a banqueting table, Lord. Help us awaken where we're deadened and numbed and you're able to do that, Lord. We want to taste and see that you, Jesus, are good.